We are going to kick off first, first of a six-part series that we're kicking off today. Uh, but I've, I've got this theory. I've got a theory. And it might, I was thinking about this, if I were to do this, it might actually make me pastor of the year, I think. And definitely, like, the most spiritually perceptive person in your life. Like, you will begin coming to me and asking, here's, here's, here's my theory. I send everyone in the church a card. And that card just simply says, it's blank. It's got a beautiful picture on the front. You open it up, it's blank. And I just simply say, I know it's hard and I'm praying for you. Andy. I know it's hard and I'm praying for you. And I send you that card and I just sign it, Andy. The response that I would get from people, oh, my God, how did you know? Oh, my God, like, you're unbelievable. You are pastor of the year. What do you think? Yeah. See, it's likely that we're all going through something that's hard. It's likely that we all have something in our life that's just a struggle. It may be a huge mountain. It may be a rock in our shoe, but it's something that's difficult. My point is that we could all focus on that thing. And we could all choose to look at the thing, the situation, the issue, the failure, the struggle, the less than I compare me to someone else and and it doesn't measure up. I'm less than. I compare what I've got or what my neighbor's got or I compare where I think I should be or what I should be wanting or And I also think that if I focus on that stuff, I'd be depressed too. I'd be depressed and angry too. I'd be struggling with my day to day just like you might be. The church in Colossae, the book of Colossians, right, was written to this church in Colossae, and it was a young church. And what's so interesting about the reading, we're going to do a reading out of Colossians 3 in just a minute. But the reading out of Colossians, that book, what's so interesting about it, it's this young, new church. It's in Turkey. When I was in the Navy, I got to go to Turkey. Izmir, Smyrna, that area, biblical names, right, Smyrna. We... I sailed into that city. It was unbelievable. I was on the port bridge wing standing outside while we're cruising in to Izmir. And I knew it was Smyrna. And I knew the stories. And I'm like, the Apostle Paul did this very thing. I was jamming. That's the coast of Turkey. Ephesus is right there. Ephesus. And Several days' journey in is Colossae. But the Bible would call it Asia Minor. That's the, that's the region of Turkey. Paul is writing to this church, but he didn't start it. It's one of the most unique books because he's writing to the church in Colossae, but it's not a church he started. It's not even a church he's ever been to. He's never even been there before. He has a friend, Epaphras, who came to Ephesus, don't you love when the Bible does those kinds of things, right? Elijah and Elisha and Epaphras and Ephesus and yeah. So Epaphras comes to Ephesus to see Paul in prison and somehow there's a conversion 
and Epaphras goes back to Colossae and starts a church. There's also a character you know in the scripture named Philemon. There's a book that's written to Philemon. Same time, same place. Philemon came to Ephesus while Paul was in jail and then went back. And the whole story about Onesimus and the book of Philemon. So Colossians and the book of Philemon together were written by Paul from this Ephesian jail. When you started a church in that area, it was dangerous. Every community had the gods that they worshipped, and that's what kept things right. You learned what appeased the gods. That's what kept you in order for year after year after year. And your father taught you, and you taught your kids, and that's the way it was. And if there was something wrong, famine, drought, some kind of situation like that, sickness, then there was something wrong between you and the gods, and you had to go back and figure out what it was. So the gods were set. They were regional, almost like sports teams, you know? God help you if you're a Ravens fan in Pittsburgh. Right? Like, that's not good. <laughs> that's dangerous. A Red Sox fan in New York. Dangerous life, right? That's what they're living. And when you come in and you're preaching this new Jesus thing, it's dangerous. Because then when anything is gone, and history actually shows this, when something would go bad, they would all turn and go, the Christians. So you've got that whole regional gods thing. And then, of course, not to mention Caesar, right? Caesar, the son of God. And you got another son of God coming in. And then, of course, the synagogues in the area, if there were any synagogues in that place, they didn't appreciate the whole Jesus message. So it's very dangerous, and it's very confusing for people. And don't kid yourself it was a small town. We all know about small towns. Everybody knows everything about everybody. And so when we gather together in a small town, these small communities that worship the regional gods, and the Hannahs weren't there this week, <laughs> has anybody seen Bill and Peggy? I hear they're worshiping the Jesus God. Really? The first social media post right there. Gone, right? Gone. And then when something happens, guess who gets blamed? Do you know why Jesus got crucified? Because he didn't follow the law. He said Sabbath doesn't count. It's nothing. He said the temple will be knocked over. They're like, that's not cool. We can't have that. We're slaves, and we're trying to not be slaves, and it's people like you, Jesus, that are not following the law that's basically ticking God off, and he's punishing us. So we can't have you, and so they killed him. That's exactly what we're dealing with. It was a very dangerous and confusing times. So that being said, I want us to look at Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read it out of the message. Just two verses. 
So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, this is the middle of this book, this short letter that Epaphras came, tells Paul. Paul says, let me write to them. He says, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. (laughs) Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Okay? Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up. I love this. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert. Be alert to what is going on around around you. No. Look up, be alert to what is going on around Christ. Because that's where the action is. See things from his perspective. You can leave that up there, Matt, the rest of the day. Talking to you today about new life. A new life, but his perspective. A new life, but his perspective. Paul calls us out. He says, don't be absorbed by the things right in front of you. And he goes on to say, don't just look, at, don't just look up and look around at the things around you. You're looking up and looking around Christ. What is going on around him? We say it around here. We desire to be a part of what God is doing. That's one of our desires, to be a part of what God is doing. We are not interested in having meetings and coming up with plans and cool projects and great graphics and then presenting it as an offering to the Lord and saying, Dear Lord, would you bless this? You can get that somewhere else, but not here. I'm not interested. Not interested. Why don't we just find out? Anybody believe God's working? Anybody believe God's working? You see it sometimes. Sometimes you don't. You believe he's working. You believe he's working when you don't see it. You believe he's like the, the, the Mount Carmel where Elijah's up there and he's like, is he on vacation? He can't hear you. Maybe he's gone somewhere. Maybe he's taking a nap. Does anybody believe in that? He's working. We want to be a part of what God is doing right now. The reason these banners, Salvation, Freedom, Redemption, are up here is because that was a promise in Exodus 6. It was a promise that God gave Moses. And I think those are the things he's still interested in doing. Those three banners capture what I think God is still wanting to do. He said, I'll bring you out of Egypt. I'll deliver you from slavery and I'll redeem you as my people. I don't think that's changed. So we're wanting to partner, partner with what God is doing. So we don't be absorbed by the things right in front of you. He says, look up, see where and see how Jesus is working You know the story of the parable, the parable of the soils. There's stony ground, there was seed, and the birds came and ate it. And then there's ground that's got thorns. And that's where the card comes from me. Remember? Remember the card that makes me amazing? The card where I send it to you, I say, hey, I know it's hard. Do you know what we're looking at? We're looking at the thorns. We're looking at the brush We're looking at the stuff that's choking the word. That's what it is. He said it is 
It's the thorny ground that chokes the word of God. When you go out and you go through a forest and you see saplings that are trying to grow, but they can't because other things are blocking the sun. And you see trees take odd and unique configurations, stretching out, reaching for sun. It's the cares of life that choke out the word. And the reason that I know that could apply to every single person when I send that card, hey, I know it's hard praying for you, is because we all have cares of life. We all have cares of life. You can have all the money in the world and it might be relational things. Your relationships can be good. You might have all the cash you need, but it's sickness in your life. Or you could be healthy and good relationships, but you are day to day to day money-wise. My pastor taught me years ago, he said it's going to be one of those things for every person. That may or may not be true, but I'll just toss her out there. He was often a smarter guy than I. So I'll just toss that out there. In every person's life, he says, it will be one of those things. It'll be sickness. It'll be finances. It'll be relationships. And one of those things will be a thorn all the time. One of those things will be the the brush and the thorns and the stuff that chokes everything out. And we look at those things. The call in Colossians 3, Paul's writing to this young church is look up. Look up. In one iteration of my life, I was an English teacher in high school. And it was Sparrows Point, which was this little island community outside of Baltimore. In fact, I would drive past Bethlehem Steel, the actual factory Bethlehem Steel, which looked like a small city. And of course, It was all empty and run down and vacated, but I would drive past Bethlehem Steel and all the gates and see the tankers and the shipping lanes and all that, and I'd drive to this little school, Sparrows Point High School. I taught sophomore and junior English, and one of my literature classes always tried to do this first of the year. We talk about perspective, perspective of writing, perspective of the author, perspective that you might have, what you bring to the story, and so I'd gather the whole class, which was kind of fun to get out of class anyway. Who likes Sophomore literature, like three, three people, and they're never in your class, right? So you get the whole group, and we just head out. Like if this was our classroom, I'd say, all right, grab your stuff, get a notebook, get a pen, follow me. And I'd march you out around. We'd go through the parking lot. We'd come out in this field area or that pine and field area, grassy area behind the CVS. And we'd walk out there, and I'd say, okay, I just want you to tell me what you, just, just tell me what hit you. We're just going to be standing out here. I'm just going to write down things that hit you. And I'd stand there and let these 20 students wander around. They're screwing around, playing around stuff. But they'd write things down. And and then we'd do that for 10 or 15 minutes, come back and sit in the class. And in the classroom, I'd process. I'd say, what'd you write down? It was amazing because each person had a perspective that just was so clear, just like that, just so clear. I'd ask one student, and he'd say, I saw some cigarette butts and a a, a beer tab pull and a a can and some wrapper and and dirt. I said, yeah. What was his perspective? What was his perspective? That stuff's not floating in the air, right? He's looking down. 
He was looking down. And then I would ask someone else, and they'd say, well, I, I saw a bird. There was a lot of waterfowl. Again, it was like an island community. I saw, you know, ducks, or I saw geese, or I saw, and then I saw, you know, the clouds. I saw, they were looking as well, using their sight. But they were looking up, further, broad, up, not down. And then, there was always, it took a while, but finally someone cracked the senses. And it wasn't just sight. And one person said, well, I heard a bulldozer. Because there was a grocery store having construction, and there was a bulldozer. Or I heard an airplane. I'm like, yes, right. We jumped off the eyesight cage, and now we're listening, we're hearing things. Like, what's the perspective? What are we letting come into us? And that is my question for all of us today. What are you letting come into you? Essentially, I'm talking to you for 30 minutes on Sunday, but who's pastoring you the rest of the week? Who's guiding your perspectives the rest of the week? And if you would with me pause and think, am I looking down? Am I looking up? Am I looking at my issues? The first thing I can tell where my heart is by how I can tell where my heart is by the first thing I think of when I wake up in the morning. It is almost foolproof, which is good. <laughs> what I'm thinking about, if I'm anxious about something or if I'm worrying about something or if there's some kind of relationship or bill or something I've got to do at work, something like that, or if there's a song in my heart. Or if I've been listening to a lot of country music lately, that comes too, right? Like, the first thing in the morning, that stuff comes to me. You might want to think about that. What is discipling you? And where are you looking? Do you know why Paul calls us to this? Because we don't do it. The Bible is so economical. It doesn't tell us to do stuff that we automatically do. It challenges us to do things that are hard. So he says to this young, beautiful church that when you look at the first two chapters, they're doing good. But it's a dangerous place, and it's confusing, and there's stuff all over, and they're drawn and pulled and tugged and challenged. And I'm telling you, you can look at your challenges, or you can lift your eyes and look at Christ, and you can look and develop a sensitivity of what is happening around you, Jesus. What is happening around you? I mean, Paul lives this out in real time. He writes from, where was he? He was, he was in prison. He, he's living this out in real time. He is in prison. Now, we have, we can juxtapose John the Baptist with Paul in an Ephesian jail. John the Baptist was a guy that when he saw Jesus and he was baptizing in the Jordan and he saw Jesus, what did he do? I mean, he like ponied up, man. He's like, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That was pretty gutsy. That's pretty gutsy. The bank was lined with Pharisees and the religious leaders. And this old boy just steps up and says, hey, ho. And then a few chapters later, the same guy asks the question, are you the one or should we look for another? How does that happen? 
tell you what I think. In the first scenario, he's a free man on the banks of the river. In the second scenario, he's knee-deep in feces in a hole in a jail. It's all about your perspective. The disciples that he sends to ask Jesus, Jesus does a magic show. He's like the dead are raised, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see, the gospel is preached to the poor. And he just like, watch this. Does that whole thing. And then he turns and he says, and make sure you also tell John, blessed is the man I can't offend. Asterisk, because I won't be saving him. I could but I'm not, but I'm working. Paul writes this real time from a prison. He notes when you read through, if you read through Colossians, he notes that this is how the gospel is going to be spread. I feel like it's Acts chapter 7. The high council meets. They pay people to slander the disciples. They pay people to have lying testimony. The Bible tells us that. And so they bring these men who they've paid off to lie, and they do. And so they accuse Stephen. They accuse Stephen, and, 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 and Stephen is standing there taking it, and he starts to speak, and the Bible is so amazing. It says they can't take their eyes off of him. He has the face of an angel. And for the entirety of chapter 7, he gives a sermon. They hit him with these accusations, and he turns, and, he, and, and they say, what do you have to say? And he begins to speak. And he schools the Jewish high council, and he starts with Abraham. And then he talks about Isaac. And then he talks about Jacob. And then he goes into a story about Moses. And he talks about the process of God being revealed to Israel. And ultimately, Jesus Christ. They're getting loud. They're getting rowdy. They're hollering back. But he says, you had this in your hand and you squandered it. You weren't looking at the right thing. At which point, they erupt, they charge him. One translation says, they gnash on him with their teeth. They literally run up and start biting him. That's how infuriated they are. They grab him, they take him outside of the town, and they stone him. They take Stephen and they stone him to death. In the stoning, because it's not just dink, out, <laughs> TV stonings, right? Hit in the head, dead. Not so in Acts 7. He's being pelted and hit. And he looks up and he says, I see God and I see Jesus standing at his right hand. What an amazing perspective. While all that's happening around him, he looks up and sees Jesus. Ready for the rest of the story? 
He says, God, don't hold this to their charge. And he died. The way we should write the story is he's being hit with stones that don't hurt too much. And then he looks up and he says, I see Jesus waiting here for you. And then Jesus swoops in. Everyone goes to jail. He's free and healed. And another episode of The Chosen ends. It's not how it plays. I want you to see two things. I want you to see that he saw Jesus. He had, a, he had the right perspective. The man died with a satisfaction in his heart and a smile on his face because he was looking at Jesus, not at his moments. Come on up, Arnie. He was looking at Jesus, not at his moments. But I want to tell you this as well. You ready? Jesus was looking at him. Jesus was looking at him while he was being pummeled. Pummeled. I think we have more problem with that part than the first part. The fact that Jesus is literally right there looking at Stephen. It wasn't just Stephen looking up and seeing him. I'll die for you, Lord. And with a smile on his face, he goes into eternity. It is the sovereign Christ looking back at him. Knowing everything that's going on. Are you hearing me, somebody? He knows everything that's going on. He sees it. He's not somewhere else. He's present. You can trust it. He's working in your life. Will it work out the way you want? You know, frankly, sometimes it just does not feel that way. You see, the guys that were throwing stones at Stephen took their coats off so they could throw better. And they laid their coats at the feet of the ringleader. You know what's so interesting about this? The book of Colossians, this book that I'm teaching from today, Paul wrote it from an Ephesian jail. I think I've made that point. Paul wrote it from jail. Who wrote it? Paul wrote it. Where jail? Who wrote it? Paul wrote it. The very same Paul who was standing in Acts chapter 7 with coats at his feet as the men stoned Stephen. What's your perspective? This is a new life, but it's got to be his perspective. He wasn't named Paul during that time. When he stood there and the coats were at his feet, and he was the ringleader of the mob that stoned Stephen. His name was Saul in Acts chapter 7. And then there's an Acts chapter 8, which is Philip and Samaria. That's a great one, too. And then 9, two chapters later, 7, 8, 9. In 9, you know how it starts? Saul was on the road to Damascus. And on that road, a light knocked him off the horse. And he asks a question. Who are you? And you know the voice he got back? The voice said, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. One chapter in between seven and nine, 
You think Saul wasn't standing with those coats at his feet, hearing Stephen looking like the face of an angel, and he said, I see Jesus at the right hand of God. And he's like, no way. Take him out. One chapter later, he hears the answer to the question, who are you? And that voice says, I am Jesus. You think he's not working? There will be hard times. Remember my card that I can send you? We can all have those, and we all do. The thing that changes everything? Perspective. Perspective. Let me read to you again Colossians chapter 3, and then we'll give you an opportunity to pray through this. We're going to do one more song, and the folks that prayed earlier, you can come up right now. We're going to give you a chance to pray one more time. Pray through this stuff. Colossians 3, verse 1. So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. What's it say? Look up. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That had to be what Stephen saw. What's going on around Christ? I'm getting hit in the head. I'm getting knocked down. People are biting my body, for goodness sake. And I'm looking at what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. So in this next moment, as we sing, as you pray, you're welcome to come up and pray with someone or just pray where you are. And if you need to go, you're welcome to be dismissed. Thank you for being here. But in this last song, this last thing, see things from his perspective. I got it from my perspective. <laughs> Nobody tells me to do that because that's what I do normally. But the call is to see things from his perspective. See things from his perspective. See things from his perspective. Where? Are you working, Lord? And help me lock my eyes in on that.